Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Liquidware, PolicyPack Software, and Goliath Technologies. If you enjoy the podcast each week, you have them to thank. And now let's get into some news. Very sad news to start off this week's episode of the podcast. Unfortunately, Chris Jackson who you may know as the app compact guy at Microsoft, passed away this week. So many online have shared stories about meeting him at conferences or talked about how much they enjoyed his sessions. Personally, I'm pretty sure I irritated Chris with many questions when I was working as part of an application compatibility team in my very first IT job at HP. We were partnered with Microsoft at the time, and I had a role working to help customers collect their application inventory using ACT collectors and to remediate issues with shims. Chris was everywhere at the time when it came to application compatibility, and I still point to some of the Channel 9 videos he did at the time as good examples for remediating compatibility issues. More recently, I learned from his excellent blogs and advice in the security space in his role as Microsoft's worldwide lead for cybersecurity. In fact, Jeremy Moskowitz and I just discussed one of his articles when we did our webinar a couple of weeks ago. His work was so vast that if you have worked with Windows at all, you'll have used something influenced by him, I'm sure. He was an avid cyclist, musician, and from my personal interactions with him, He also seemed to enjoy a good Simpsons meme from time to time. This podcast is pretty insignificant in the grand scheme of things, but I would just like to offer my condolences to all of Chris's family, friends, Microsoft colleagues, and to the whole community, really. This is just a terrible loss for us all. On a previous episode of the podcast, I covered a story about an issue blocking certain machines from being able to upgrade from Windows 10 1903 or 1909 to newer versions. If this includes your machine, you'll now be able to install KB457991, which will allow you to upgrade. One good thing is that you don't have to reboot for this patch to allow you to then successfully upgrade. BleepingComputer.com reports that customers who cannot immediately apply this update are advised by Microsoft to work around this known issue by re-enabling HTTP access to the internet to the Windows 10 Setup Dynamic Update, which I believe is a workaround that I mentioned when I originally covered this issue. Last week, people started sharing an odd email they received from Amazon on Twitter and different social media outlets. They were being instructed that their data was leaked to a third party. BleepyComputer.com reports that there is some contradictory information out there. The initial statement made it sound like a single employee of Amazon leaked the data that included customers' email addresses, but a later statement made it sound like multiple employees were at fault and have been fired. It seems like this is still a developing story, so we'll look out for more information in the coming weeks. Microsoft have stated more than 115 million daily active users are in Teams now. 
That's up from 75 million users in late April. ZDNet reported that on Microsoft's earning calls, they stated that Office 365 commercial now is 75% of Microsoft's existing paid commercial base. Office commercial products and cloud services revenue was up 9% year over year, driven by Office 365 commercial revenue growth of 21%. They've also reported that Microsoft 365 consumer subscribers is now up to 45.3 million. On a previous episode of the podcast, I covered the fact that Zoom decided to do a U-turn. They had stated encryption would only apply to those paying customers. They later announced they would in fact provide encryption on free tiers too. Well, encryption is now immediately available for users on Windows, Mac OS, and Android. ZDNet reports that the iOS version of the Zoom app is still awaiting approval from Apple's App Store review for the encryption. ZDNet had a pretty interesting report this week on some URLs that will automatically open in the new Edge browser instead of Internet Explorer. So apparently there's a list of sites that are flagged to automatically launch into the new Edge. And Microsoft has been gradually rolling out this feature for testing purposes for some Windows users since the release of Edge 84 this past summer. However, with the release of Edge 87 scheduled for next month, Microsoft plans to enable the forced IE to Edge action for all IE users. And this story seems pretty apt considering Chris Jackson's efforts to try and steer customers away from using Internet Explorer 11 as their primary browser. Microsoft has released an optional Windows update, KB4577586, which removes Adobe Flash from Windows and prevents it from being installed again. This optional update is only available currently via the Microsoft catalog, and once installed, as suggested, it cannot be removed afterward. BleepingComputer.com reports Microsoft states they will make this update available via WSUS and Windows Update to perform wide-scale removal of Flash Player in early 2021, after Flash reaches its end of life. A new version of the MSIX packaging tool has been released, which provides new abilities such as a services report within the package editor and support for device guard signing version 2. Congratulations to ExtraHop as they have achieved Amazon Web Services security competency status for RevealX 360. RevealX natively integrates with Amazon Virtual Private Cloud traffic mirroring. RevealX 360 provides agentless visibility, including into SSL TLS encrypted traffic, with no impact to the development process. RevealX 360 uses advanced machine learning and behavioral analysis, leveraging metadata extracted from cloud traffic to accurately identify anomalous behaviors and malicious activity whenever they occur within or across the cloud. So you can see why this would be of interest for AWS and AWS customers. If you've never seen RevealX in action, you should check it out. I got to see it at Synergy a couple years ago and I've also worked with 
extra hop before Reveal X was a product just for some of our EUC monitoring needs and it's a really mind-blowing product. A couple of weeks ago, I reported on a story of a ransomware attack on the Hackney Council in London. Systems used for taking or making payments, logging repairs, and approving licensing and planning applications are unfortunately, as of this recording, still being disrupted. It sounds like no ransom will be paid, which is good because that's what's recommended. But unfortunately, they are either unable to recover the systems or it's just going to take a much longer time to recover the systems. In an article by ZDNet, it sounds like they're really upset about this attack. The mayor used the term morally repugnant. It really sucks that these ransomware attacks are just pretty much part of the fabric now of the corporate world. The BBC have reported on one of the most sickening ransomware attacks I've ever read about. It's up there with the attacks on hospitals and services for things like insulin monitors, which have happened in the past. Patients of a large psychotherapy clinic in Finland have been contacted by hackers demanding a ransom with the threat of publishing their details, including notes taken during their therapy sessions. Obviously, these would be deeply personal notes, as private as you could imagine something being. The BBC article states that the hacker or hackers told at least one of the victims that the company had refused to pay 40 Bitcoin, which at the time of the article being posted was worth 403,000 pounds sterling. And because they refused to pay it, this victim would have to pay them 200 euros. They said that if it wasn't paid in 24 hours, the price would go up to 500 euros. And if not paid in 72 hours, the information would be published. And this particular victim talking to the BBC was pretty distraught because he did not have that money to pay the ransom. And despicably, the information for 300 people has already been published online, with it likely that the clinic's network was penetrated twice over a number of years. It's possible they have notes for many patients in sessions. While I wanted to highlight the story because it's so disgusting and an example of just how awful these ransomware attacks can be i suggest you do not seek out this information don't try to read people's personal therapy notes they should not be viewed by anyone and now this episode's scripts tricks and tips another episode and another script from guy leach this time it's to empty a file such as a log file using PowerShell. So this could be handy if you don't want to have your script delete a log file after each run and you just want to clear the contents. That way the next time your script wants to log or needs to log, it can just log to that existing file and it doesn't have to recreate it again. If you're listening to the audio only version of the podcast, I am showing the commandlets on the video version on YouTube, but also As always, I share links to everything that I talk about on each episode of the podcast on 5bytespodcast.com and you'll find this one under episode 148's reference links. If you are currently experiencing random Windows 10 disconnects with your Citrix VDA, Craig Harmel shared 
a registry key that you can set to resolve the issue on his Twitter. He states that Microsoft support has a fix for a newly discovered bug and it isn't made available to the public yet. And again, if you're listening to the audio only version, you're not seeing the registry key that I'm talking about, but I'll share a link to that with this episode. Brandon Mitchell shared a really awesome blog post on using Microsoft UEV to roam user settings like Outlook signatures in a non-persistent EUC environment. So I've actually used UEV in the past for doing stuff like this. When using it and comparing it to something like AppSense, for example, it does feel a little bit primitive, but it works really well. A way that I describe it to some people is like a lot of people on desktop teams have used the USMT tool when doing Windows desktop migrations to take user data and copy it onto the newly built Windows 10 machine, for example. And UEV is kind of like that, but it's a living version and it's tailored to grab application settings and data that you care about to roam. The beauty of it, because it's kind of like USMT and it's using these XML configurations, it's actually quite lightweight to run. It does require a little bit of effort to capture what settings it is you want to roam. But once you've done it, it works pretty well. And Brandon in his blog gave some reasons for why he decided to UEV over something like FSLogic. So it's a really interesting read. And another blog post this week from CitrixIRC.com. This one is on how to run a defrag on your PVS target VDisk. So this is obviously something you don't need to do absolutely every time you're updating your VDisk. But every once in a while, it's a good idea to run a defrag. And if you're not doing it currently, you should read this blog post and discover how you can do that. This week, Michael Nihas shared a blog post on how to perform network tracing during the OOBE stage using Fiddler. So OOBE, from what I can remember, is out-of-box experience, which is a phase in your Windows boot when you're building out your Windows desktop or Windows server. So if you're having some issues building out your machines and you want to be able to grab a network trace, this is the blog post for you. Ben Whitmore shared a pretty interesting tweet that was a reminder or a highlight to those of you using SCCM or Microsoft Endpoint Manager with the ADRs, which I believe are the automated deployment rules. I can't remember exactly, but basically how you automate your scheduling for your Windows updates for your patching. Um, In the search criteria from time to time, those products that you're using to set which updates will get targeted can get out of date. So use the example Office 365 client. Well, when Microsoft changes the name or the labeling for a product, guess what? Those old labels that you're using or those old product names, that's not gonna get the patches to your machine. So you gotta keep them up to date or ensure your infrastructure is up to date on version 2006 or later because then you'll be notified of app name changes. Advanced Installer shared a very short but useful YouTube video on how to publish your MSIX packages to the Microsoft Store. 
So if you're a developer, full-time or part-time hobbyist, and you want to take your Win32 app, package it up into MSIX, and make it available in the store, check out their video. Finally, I actually already mentioned it in this episode, but the webinar that I hosted with my buddy Jeremy Moskowitz and PolicyPack is now available on demand. Um, we go through mainly security tips that you'll want to know, which is why Chris's work was so relevant to our discussion. Apologies for the audio quality last week. I got a new microphone, like I said. I think it's pretty good. I think it's an improvement, but it's taking a little bit of getting used to. I hope it's going to be better this week. I think I figured it out. Also, apologies because I feel like I'm not projecting my voice as well this week. It was hard to keep an upbeat energy considering the sad news at the top of the show. Regardless of that, I'd like to say thank you for continuing to support the podcast and tuning in each week. And I'll catch you next week.